Hello, Black Swamp Podcast listeners. Tim here again, and thanks for tuning in to this episode, number 34, with Colleen Bernstein. If you've been listening regularly, thank you, and hopefully you've enjoyed dropping in on these conversations. If you're new to our series, thanks also for joining us, and feel free to travel back in time through our episodes. We've had a lot of great conversations with BSP artists, educators, and friends about staying motivated, uh, being an entrepreneur, new projects they have going on in the percussive world, and getting to know these individuals a little bit better. One quick uh, note, bit of housekeeping, I guess, before getting to our next conversation. Uh, we just launched our latest sound solution project. This is a two-week event where we feature new resources from BSP artists and educators, uh, new product content from BSP headquarters, and work with a retailer on a special product promotion. So in this case, we've partnered with Steve Weiss Music, extending a 15% discount on a majority of our product line. Uh, the sale runs through April 30th, with the discount being applied during checkout at steveweissmusic.com. Uh, we'll throw all the appropriate uh, links to the event in the show notes here. Uh, Colleen Bernstein is a Black Swamp concert artist heavily involved in arts education, uh, performance collaboration, diversity awareness, and community engagement, uh, strength and sensitivity. Her ongoing music and arts project aims to connect and engage artists across gender, racial, ethnic, sexual orientation, and disability spectrums. Um, besides getting to know Colleen better throughout this conversation, uh, it was great to hear more about these projects and opportunities she's helping to create. So here's Colleen. Well, first of all, thank you for having me and doing this. Oh, yeah. Um, sure. I know this isn't your typical, you know, recording time. So thanks for being flexible. With <laughs> no, I appreciate you being flexible. Sometimes I forget, yeah. or all the times I forget most of the time that um, people don't always have the same schedule that I do. That's like totally like pretty flexible. Um, uh, you know, I can record during the day or I can record at night when if I need to. So some people mm -hmm. have jobs. Uh, or schedules that don't allow that kind of flexibility. So yeah, I'm totally willing to work around your schedule. But um, yeah, well, welcome. To, we'll just get started then. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Colleen. Great. Thank I, you. Yeah, I appreciate you being here. Uh, it's fun to uh, see you and hear you in person. I guess, yeah, definitely. Through definitely. the through the matrix. Um, yeah. But I guess what I'd like to do tonight is. Uh, get to know a little bit more about Colleen uh, like a little bit of your backstory but then obviously talk about um, some of the projects you have going on and a couple specific things um, that I think we'll kind of dive into so first um, uh, are you I know you went to Eastman and then U of M are you from New York well and you're in New York now but is that kind of where you were from yeah I grew up in the Albany area okay um, so I'm in the city now, but um, yeah, I grew up just outside of Albany yeah. and lived there pretty much until I went to Eastman. Okay. So yeah. In kind of a traditional uh, music, uh, like percussion upbringing, you know, kind of grade school through um, high school type of thing. Or I noticed on your website, you do play some pianos. Maybe that's how you got to start. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I started on piano when I was very 
very young yeah. um, because I have an older brother and he was doing, you know, group piano classes in elementary school and that kind of thing. And sure. as a toddler, I was like, I have to do it because my brother's <laughs> doing it. So I want to do it. So that's how I started doing music. I started with piano. Um, I took piano lessons all the way through the, basically the end of high school. Okay. Um, and that was at, at a point in high school, I kind of had to decide, like, am I going to try to focus more on piano or percussion? Um, and so I, I stopped taking the piano lessons my senior year of high school so that I could really focus on percussion yeah. and try to get into college. Um, but yeah, I started percussion. Um, I played in our school band starting in fourth grade, um, but I didn't start taking lessons until eighth grade for percussion. Um, and so fourth grade initially was, you know, I, I already knew how to read music and how to, you know, play everything basically from my piano background. Sure. So I didn't really learn too much about what was going on <laughs> as far as how to play the percussion instruments correctly until I started taking private lessons. It, um, sorry, what, yeah. what grade was that? Um, I think that was eighth grade okay. that I started doing. It was, I'm pretty sure eighth grade. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm going to totally date myself right now, but, um, I mean, obviously the times have changed. I mean, when I started band basically in fifth grade, it was like, here's a, a drum pad and a pair of sticks. And now I know just from having um, like a, a middle school age girl and then a like a, a, a grade school age girl, like you have to have two years of piano, at least in our school system, like going into hmm. going into percussion. So wow. I don't know if they're they're trying to weed out all the kids like me when I was in fifth grade that yeah, just kind of want to hit stuff. But uh, that's yeah, intense. yeah, I think two yeah two years seems wow. pretty in, intense. And um, mm -hmm. my youngest, um, she's in third grade now. I mean, she kind of has an interest. Well, she sort of had an interest in percussion, and we were like, well, if you want to do that, we have to get into some piano lessons first, and then. Now she thinks she wants to play piano, so I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to keep up sometimes, but yeah. Uh, so the, I mean, so there was a little bit of a transition, obviously going from piano to percussion, and um, uh, like, if you kind of remember what that looked like or felt like, or it's too long ago. Um, no, oh, that's an interesting thing to think about. I mean, <laughs> I, I just have never really thought about that. I yeah. I really I really really loved playing piano, especially in that age, that elementary, middle school and high yeah. school, it was really, a, you know, an, an important part of my life. And so doing, joining percussion was sort of like, well, I wanted to be in school band because I love music. You can't play piano in school band. So yeah. I had to pick a different instrument. And um, again, it was kind of a social thing. I had a bunch of friends who wanted to do drums. So yeah. I said, that sounds cool, you know? Yeah. And um, I, I got like a starter drum kit at some point that I was very, very bad at, but I would mess around and I would play along with, you know, yeah. like Phil Collins and things that my parents like to listen to, Billy Joel yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, awesome. Um, and so that was fun because I, I was really doing a lot of classical music, um, very kind of typical piano education. Yeah. So, you know, it was fun to, to start um, just by experimenting with non-classical music, you know, through the drums and things like that. Yeah. yeah. Did, were you unfortunately kind of delegated to a lot to mallet parts and stuff because you had that experience or <laughs> it was like yep. default Col <laughs> colleen here's mallet parts yeah yeah so. well again because i i already knew how to read music and yeah. so that that put me in a different level than a lot of the students who were really just starting out and so it was i think a combination of that and also a little bit of that kind of bias that i think happens a lot where yeah. the the girl percussionists especially at the younger level get put yeah. on the mallet instruments and you know, I think it was some sort of blend of the two things, probably. 
Yeah, I was talking to Elizabeth De La Mater, um, well, a couple of episodes ago, but also just in passing. And, and I mean, that was definitely her experience kind of growing up, like, mm-hmm. like literally band director telling her, no, you're, you're going to play the mallet parts. And, you know, we're going to give the boys these, <laughs> these snare drum parts or whatever. So um, did it when I, I don't know, we're already jumping ahead here, but did that, <laughs> that, that mold kind of, kind of break in, in high school or what did it take till kind of college era till, till you kind of, yeah past that i think i think in high school i was really lucky in high school i was part of uh, the empire state youth orchestra program which is a regional um, youth orchestra and also has percussion ensembles as kind of part of it there's also there's jazz ensembles there's a wind ensemble it's like a whole big organization and um so i got involved with that right when i started taking lessons i started taking lessons from the people who conducted the percussion ensemble and um so that was really, really great. My high school, actually, I went to a really small high school and uh, we actually hmm. didn't have a music program at all. So oh. I didn't have music like in my high school, my regular high school day. So all of my music education in high school was um, was through this youth orchestra program and yeah. private lessons. So it was a really, really, you know, obviously really important thing for me since right. I ended up going into music. Um, but the level of, of playing was really high and there's been a number of people who've gone through that program with those teachers and you know gone on to study music and and are now professionals in the field so right. that was definitely you know really just a lucky thing that I was able to have access to that and you know live in the area where that program exists so yeah yeah very cool is that a program that your friends were involved also like when you you kind of mentioned like there was a bit of a social aspect to it like or was that sort of after after you got into playing percussion? Um, well, the, yeah, that ended up being like a different cohort of friends, but but those people <laughs> yeah. um, that I played in the percussion ensemble with was the same kids who percussion ensemble, and then some of us were in the orchestra as well. And those rehearsals were the same day. So it was like Tuesday afternoons after school, I would go and do percussion ensemble from like four to six o'clock. Yeah. And then we'd have to go to a different location to rehearse with the orchestra, which was like a seven to 10 kind of thing. So. Hmm. I spent a lot of time once a week with with these students and we were all from different schools because again it was regional so um they ended up being you know some of my closest friends in high school but um yeah i i mean and that's what i liked about percussion when i was deciding between percussion and piano i i liked the kind of team player aspect i liked the idea that i would be working with a lot of people as opposed to um studying piano which seemed a little more solitary to me right like there'd be more time just working alone in a practice room so um yeah yeah that was definitely um one question i i wanted to ask like um before before i ask it which you've already partially answered uh i do want to go back like you mentioned kind of getting a starter drum set do you remember do you remember what that was just out of curiosity uh, you mean like the brand? Yeah, just. Uh... I I think it was a I think it was like a CB drums thing okay. actually, which is my initials. <laughs> oh, that's too. So oh yeah, it was very like cool. you know that's it fitting. was pretty cool that you know on the kick drum it said CB. You know, it was like <laughs> it was like personalized. Yeah, right. That's awesome. It was like oh, it's my own rock band. You know. Yeah. No, um, I was yeah. just curious because. Um, I remember I had like a Yamaha kind mm-hmm. of a starter kit that I got yeah. in I think eighth grade and that was my first kit and I ended up selling it when I got into college mm-hmm. and I still regret it like to this day like that's of all the regrets that I have in my life Colleen really? that's one of that's one of the biggest because 
I don't know. I didn't think I would have that much of an emotional kind of connection to the drum set. Uh -huh. And, and it was kind of small, but it sounded really good. At least I thought when I was in high school and I was, I was playing Phil Collins or I was playing through police tunes and stuff like I, and I sold it to, I had a, a, a fellow percussionist in the music program who had a student, like a high school or junior high student that needed a, a drum set. And I was like, well, I'm looking to upgrade. I'll sell it. And then I found out after the fact that my friend was like, oh yeah, I'm sure he destroyed that, that kit. <laughs> and oh, then no. we looked back and I was like, yeah, I was totally crushed. I was like, oh man, I was, I was bumming. Cause I thought, oh, I'm helping out this student. And, and I, and then I just, I kind of regretted selling it right away anyways. And then once I found out it was probably uh, in pieces, I was, it was even more distraught. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, okay. Well, enough about my sob story. Colleen, let's, so my, yeah, my, my question was going to be, how did you make that decision or that distinction between um, going into percussion or piano? Like what, cause then obviously you went to Eastman uh, mm -hmm. for like undergrad work. So what, um, I mean, you mentioned kind of that community aspect or the, the ability to play with, with, other people like what was that kind of the main reason or were there some other things that that came up yeah I, I think that was definitely a big part of it because again I had this youth orchestra program that I met so many great people and friends and I, I really I liked being part of a, a group and being part of a team sure. um, in middle school I was like if I wasn't doing music I was playing basketball in okay. middle school that was my thing and yeah. um i was like a basketball fiend i played <laughs> a lot and yeah. um and i i love basketball because it's a team sport kind of the yeah. same thing you know I, I i definitely prefer that to like solo sports you know yeah. and um so yeah i think it was i think it was definitely that i had this foundation of of this community aspect of percussion that that was really um was really a draw for me and i i also thought that um you know, it probably would be easier down the road to be a percussionist and still get to play piano sometimes sure. versus the other way around. Um, yeah. For example, like I still get to play piano. Um, sometimes I, I sub at churches, like playing music at the churches or, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I teach piano lessons. Um, there's lots of things that I can still do with piano yeah. um, that if it was the other way around, I wouldn't have all the access to all this percussion stuff that I you know, learned and gathered over the years right. studying. So yeah. it, it's kind of a way to, to still do both to, you know, an extent. And then I guess the last piece of, of the decision was that I really like contemporary music. And, you know, again, with, with piano, um, it's not that I never played modern music, but a lot of it was, was classical and there was a yeah, lot of sure. Bach and things like that, which, you know, now I love Bach, but um, when I played piano, I really didn't like Bach that much. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like playing it now, but... Um, so, so do you yeah. feel more at home playing percussion now than you do piano? Like if you were to play Bach, you'd prefer to play it on a, on a mallet instrument versus a piano, which I guess technically is a percussion instrument is. Yeah. That, right. I think, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think when I was, when I was in, in middle school and learning Bach, um, compared to playing Debussy or Chopin or something, Bach just felt like it was really kind of, you know, dry compared to the you know what i mean yeah, like sure. it didn't and it was it was i had a wonderful piano teacher but a lot of the time that bach was sort of presented as like 
this is what we're doing to make sure we play all of the fingerings correctly. And it was, it was so much more technical than musical, yeah. the way that we talked about it versus the way that we talked about some of the other music that I liked playing, the more romantic style stuff. Mm -hmm. So I think it was just like my perspective at that time made me not really appreciate the the musical depth that of course there is in all yeah. box music and then by the time we get to college and everybody talks about bach for the musicality yeah. when it comes to percussion it's all about being lyrical and expressive it's like oh this is the same guy you know this <laughs> right. is a totally different way of, of teaching it which yeah. i think is really interesting so yeah cool um i mean i was just using bach as an example i guess yeah. but yeah. uh you could i that's an interesting comparison i'd never really I guess I would never, never knew there was maybe like an, well, of course I knew Bach was like technical, but mm -hmm. you know, from another instrument standpoint, like you're using that sort of as an instructional, instructional tool. It's like playing yellow after the rain or something like, like not, I mean, but much, much more maybe, intense yeah. than that, but like yeah. the idea of like, like kind of getting some technique down and getting some, um, getting some experience, I guess, in that sense, but yeah i think oh. it was also again like i was younger and uh, you know i think i think maybe just maturity wise i didn't yeah. totally you know get it the same way that i do now or it doesn't it doesn't connect with me the same way yeah. you know back then that that i connect with bach now so sure Um, okay, so Eastman, and then uh, let's see, I, I made a couple notes here that I found pretty interesting. Um, so while you were at Eastman, obviously you got a performance and then also an ed degree, I think. Yeah. Um, and, then an, uh, and then an arts leadership certificate. Mm -hmm. So I was like super curious, like what, what that involves and how that's connected to music or not connected to music. Yeah, the arts leadership program at Eastman is, is really great. Um, it's kind of an entrepreneurship um, program. And so Eastman does like certificates. There's different kinds of certificates you can get. Sure. Uh, that's one of them. And they do that in place of minors. Like it, it's, basically, it's basically like a minor. You have to get a certain number of credits and fulfill a certain number of requirements mm -hmm. to get it, which is basically the same thing as a minor. Um, and it's it's all like I said, entrepreneurship focused. So there there were classes on you know project development. There were classes on marketing yourself. Um, some recording classes that I never got to take. <laughs> There's yeah. a whole you know variety of of different kinds of courses that you could take outside of your your typical performance or education um, curriculum. So that was definitely um, a great part of my my Eastman experience. It definitely yeah. helped me. Um, with some of the projects I was doing at the time and, you know, things that I've done since then, it helped me kind of get that foundation. Yeah. I mean, that basically, that's, again, one of my like first questions about that mm -hmm. is, is how, and I think, you know, in a, in a few minutes, we'll be talking about some of these projects, but like you definitely see a connection between the opportunities you had in Eastman and the work that you're doing now, mm -hmm. obviously. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and let's see. And then uh, off to University of Michigan and performance and then chamber music, like two separate masters or were these combined somehow? Yeah, it's two. It's actually two separate degrees, um, but it's it's not too much to add the chamber music degree onto a performance degree. Um, you have to do a chamber music recital. So it's like a second degree recital 
and that's the biggest requirement, then you also have to just take more chamber music classes each semester. But I honestly would have done that anyway, um, since I like to do that stuff. So, you know, it it made total sense to just have another recital and then, you know, get this extra degree. Yeah. Um, So one question I thought of earlier, too, is when we were talking about kind of your transition to playing percussion over piano and that community aspect, do you think, I mean, do you prefer playing chamber music over like solo literature then overall? Like you prefer um, playing with a group of people? That's a tough one. I, I really do like playing chamber music. I really do like playing with other people. Right. Um, I think that's, you know, that's something, yeah, it's something that I really enjoy. I think that one of my, you know, one of my strengths is being able to blend with other people and, you know, listen and, and kind of fit into an ensemble. So, sure. um, yeah, and I, I've had a lot of experience doing that. I was lucky to get a lot of experience doing that at Eastman and then at Michigan as well. So I I definitely really like that. Um, Playing solo is is fun. It's a totally different experience, though. Um, And I did a lot of solo playing, like, right before the shutdown last year. So I I got to kind of experience doing that for a period of time versus playing chamber music. And um, it's hard to compare them because they are really, really different. Yeah. Yeah. I I didn't have the nerves to play solo stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. uh, I mean, I enjoyed it. I think mostly for that reason. Like I did um, graduate work at the University of Akron and Mm -hmm. I like just enjoyed playing with like my friends there over putting together a solo recital and kind Mm -hmm. of stressing out about it and stuff. So I think that was more just my internal kind of nerves and in dealing with that type of like performance. Uh, So um so i guess so then what brought you to to new york city then um so i'd had this thought for a while that i I wanted to come to new york city i wanted to um freelance here and i wanted to you know try to do all the things that we can't do right now because of the pandemic (laughs) right um but i i had this thought for for a while so i decided to do my master's um pretty much right after my undergrad because i got that education degree and in New York, um, you have to get a master's in a related field within five years in order oh, to okay. keep your certification. Sure. So it was like, okay, well, this makes sense. I'm in, I'm in school mode. I'm going to go do my master's and, and have that done. Um, so I, I went out to Michigan to do the master's. Um, but I sort of had this thought that after Michigan, I would come to New York. I would, you know, see what I could make happen, mm-hmm. see what would happen in the next couple of years. And then, you know, maybe figure out the next step um after a few years of of getting some you know real experience and um just seeing where things kind of went i had some ideas but i I also wanted to just be open to seeing you know what kind of doors that would open and where i could go yeah and um then then the pandemic happened so (laughs) so how long how long were you in new york then before 2020 just a year or two (laughs) No, I actually moved here at the beginning of the pandemic. Oh, no. Um, the world's worst timing. It really was, it was a really weird thing. I, yeah, um, yeah so after I, after I finished um, at Michigan, I was initially thinking I was going to come straight to New York like that summer and just come straight here. That was 2019. Um, and I decided to actually stay in Michigan for, you know, I was thinking six or seven months or so as a little bit of a buffer because I had some solo projects that I wanted to do. Like I right. mentioned, I was doing a lot of solo playing. Um, I had some travel related projects that I wanted to do. And I figured if I stayed in Michigan and kind of used that as a base, I already had some freelancing stuff going on with regional orchestras there. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of made sense to like stay there, focus on those projects first, 
as opposed to coming to New York and getting um, swallowed in a good way by, sure. you know, trying to get started in New York. Right. Um, so I decided to kind of put that off a little bit. But then, of course, that ended up being that I was going to move at the end of March um, to New York. So yeah. I came to I came to New York, I actually had an audition for something here in the city. Um, and it was it was an audition at Carnegie Hall. I was auditioning for the Ensemble Connect Fellowship. Okay. And um, so that was like March 12th or something like that, which I was warming up in in Carnegie Hall. I was warming up for my audition. My friend was actually proctoring the audition, and she came in. She's like, "Hey, sorry to interrupt. I just wanted you to know, at midnight they're closing Carnegie Hall. It's like everything's shutting down, you know, because of this yeah. virus. Like it was literally that day that they hey, shut it down. So it was like, okay, so." Um, I, so I played still, the audition. Okay. Yeah. That was my question. You still yep. went through with it. Yeah. Yeah. They, they let me play the audition. Um, I was there till I think eight o'clock cause I, I ended up in the finals. And so I was there longer and it was, it was just this weird thought of like in four hours, like the whole thing is, is shutting yeah, down. And for sure. um, the days, two days after that is when I found my apartment <laughs> here and I went and looked cause you know, most things weren't shut down yet at yeah. that day so i was still you know it was still like everyone was like oh what is what's going on with this virus this seems pretty crazy yeah. but you know it was still like a week before everything really started hitting here and so you know i did my apartment hunting found my apartment before i had to go back to michigan and um like i flew back to michigan and then it was locked down oh jeez. so but i had you know i had just i i had just you know signed my lease and given my security deposit it was like i'm moving you know yeah. my lease was ending in michigan so it was one of those situations where you know i, I kind of had to go yeah and, for um, sure yeah so so <laughs> you were able to in michigan and you then, were able you were able to travel though and get move into your new place like during the lockdown like yeah so and then not leave your apartment for probably like six weeks or more yeah it was really really crazy i mean going back to michigan packing up everything and then, you know, I, I delayed coming to New York a little bit. I stayed with my parents for a couple of weeks um, right at the beginning of April, like right around this time when sure. last year when everything was the absolute worst. Um, but I still basically came here right in the middle of all of that. Yeah. And um, yeah, I just moved here and, and I had a couple gigs lined up here that, you know, were, of course, you know, disappeared. Yeah. And uh, then it was like, well... I, I can't do what I thought I was going to do. It was, you know, networking and going to people's shows and all yeah. of that. So, um, yeah, it was, it was, I mean, nobody saw the pandemic coming. So No, no, know. and you can't, yeah, you're totally right. Nobody sees it coming. You can't sort of, like, go backwards, you know? You can't, like, um, yeah, hit pump, you know, you got to pump the brakes, I guess, but you can't go in, in reverse. So, yeah, I give, I give you a lot of credit for, move basically moving to a to new york city of all places yeah. and having really you know not already being like probably on edge with like okay how is this going to work out and having a plan and trying to realize it and then realizing that that plan is now toast <laughs> like yeah i mean like, i i definitely was in the same boat as you know most of the musicians i know where yeah, it was sure. it was really sad to just watch everything kind of wash out and yeah. you know all the things that were planned there, there weren't that many but there were enough that you know each time one of them got canceled it was like you know just another kind of blow and yeah. um it really yeah it was it was hard initially to figure out well what you know what am i gonna do but yeah um 
we were all in the same boat with that so yeah i mean we i mean obviously black swamp was we were mm -hmm. shut down for like six plus weeks kind of mm -hmm. march through april and then finally may um well jamel who's a vp of operations there and then myself and eric the president kind of just keeping things moving and then finally kind of in the summer when the there was manufacturing restrictions that were lifted in michigan uh you know we could officially start invoicing and and stuff like that and then just kind of crawling back so even now the guys we don't have a full we're not 100 percent yet like we don't mm -hmm. have a full um i mean everybody's back but not everybody's back full time and so we're still kind of navigating through that and um yeah we were uh yeah yeah it's kind of like not totally like yourself but yeah we were kind of hearing you know we obviously we're watching the news and we mm -hmm. we know there's a virus and and we're like keeping our eye on things and and hearing murmurings of shutdown and stuff and we had scheduled uh several days in a local college uh like a theater to do like full sound sample recording like our entire product line oh, wow. and uh, it was just the school had just closed and i connected with my contacts there and was like are we still good to come in and they were like yeah no problem and then mm -hmm. we were there for a couple hours and the, the music secretary figured out what was going on and she was like the only other one in the building and called security and, oh, no. uh, had us kicked out so we had to pack oh. up all of our stuff and and oh, leave man. yeah so we were and then yeah a couple days later like that I, I think a week late less than a week later we were it was like march 23rd shut down so mm -hmm. love that you early on you mentioned you said the word community because that was like one of the thing, things that I wrote down in my notes uh, like uh, community and engagement because I think mm -hmm. um, several of the projects that you have going on are based on um, engaging with with community so I'm not sure where you want to start I had strength and sensitivity written down at the top of my my list um, so let's just start there um, uh, I mean, I'll literally just read from your website here um, and then you can expand on all this or maybe sure, tell sure. me where I'm wrong. <laughs> but so as uh, Strength and Sensitivity is a touring multimedia performance project and collaborative platform that blends percussion music, poetry and audience interaction, which I think is super cool to catalyze dialogue about gender equality and empathy. So um, mm -hmm. it's from your website. So yeah. it can't, it can't too much of it can't be wrong, but basically yeah, yeah. Um, I think the audience interaction is super cool. I had a, I, again, a recent um, conversation with Melanie Vojtovich mm -hmm. uh, about one of her projects and it was, seemed really similar. It was with like choreography, visual artists, and then audience interaction mm -hmm. um, was encouraged, I guess. So um, uh, yeah, I guess I just want to learn more about this project, like how you developed it or how it kind of came to be and then what you know what it looks like going forward I guess yeah um 
Yeah, well, th thanks for reading it off my website there. It's, I'm like, oh, I, I wrote tried, that a while ago, but yeah, it still yeah. sounds right. It makes sense. Um, uh, yeah, great. <laughs> um, yeah, so strength and sensitivity is something that I, I kind of started um, when I was in grad school at Michigan. And it, it was initially, honestly, just supposed to be one concert uh, with the name Strength and Sensitivity. That was going to be the name of the concert, and that was that was that was going to be it. Sure. Um, but after that first concert, uh, I got a lot of feedback, and people were encouraging me to kind of expand the idea a little bit. So um, it ended up growing into um, this this project that I've been developing, and it's still changing. Um, I I actually really like that. You know, I don't actually have a a great um, like really clear cut definition of exactly what it is it's not one show that tours it's it's kind of an idea mm -hmm. um, that allows me to collaborate with other people and depending on which community i'm working with as you mentioned communities um, i think it's really important especially with any any project or show that's focused on a social justice issue like gender equality or anything else mm -hmm. i think it's really important to to be really focused on the community that you're working with so that's the reason that i leave that flexibility um, but at this point, the, the project kind of has three um, branches to it, I guess. Mm. There's the concerts, um, just putting on concerts that relate to this theme. There's commissions. I've been able to you know, work with composers and generate some new music um, that addresses themes around the idea of gender equality. Um, and then the last thing is the collaborations. It's really given me an opportunity to uh, work with you know, musicians from non-contemporary music or non-classical genres. Um, like rap artists or you know singer songwriters things like that mm -hmm. um, as well as non-musicians as well as writers and um, even visual artists a little bit so it's given me an opportunity to connect with people that I maybe wouldn't connect with otherwise and uh, that's something that's really exciting to me so yeah so as you're trying to so catalyze some dialogue I guess mm -hmm. like what was there something that was a catalyst for you to to start this at U of M to like kind of begin the, the, the process and what I guess what I would consider it is an ongoing project really mm -hmm. like yeah. um, some it's kind of an umbrella for a lot of the work that you might might be doing in the future like now and in the future. Yeah, I think that the starting point for me was, you know, some of my personal experiences just being a, um, a woman identifying person in um, a field that, you know, percussion or music in general is very kind of male uh, dominant. Sure. So, um, you know, some of my experiences just kind of living in that world, um, as well as, you know, observation of, of my peers and colleagues and, you know, other people in the fields. Um, so, so that experience, observation, and combining that with, you know, a really basic level of, of research, just looking at representation, you know, who has the, the jobs, who, how, who has the power in our, in our field. Mm -hmm. especially within percussion like you know who's in those top orchestras or who's in those top chamber groups or who plays in the broadway pits or you know whatever it is i mean that's really basic research that you can just kind of poke around online and you can find personnel lists for you know most of these organizations and so i started kind of looking into that stuff um you know out of my own interest and then i i sort of made it into a project for one of my classes um at michigan it wasn't really it didn't quite fit what the project was supposed to be about, but I like <laughs> wanted to do it. So I kind right. of just, you know, did it. Yeah. And um, yeah, so, so those kinds of like basic research and all of that, um, it led me to a much deeper and more focused research. And I started mm -hmm. doing a lot more reading of, of different texts about gender equality and about intersectionality and things like that. Mm -hmm. And um, that's why it's an ever, you know, ever changing thing because I'm still learning. And yeah. 
you know, I will continue to, to be learning about these issues forever. You know, I'm right. never, I'm never going to be an expert or know everything about it. So, right. um, that's, yeah. So it's kind of, the project has kind of grown, um, with me, I think in that way, even though it's, it has kind of the same ideas at the roots, which is really just, again, to really just to inspire like conversation, inspire people to think about these issues in a different way, maybe spark something that, um, they haven't thought of before or share a perspective that they might've been unaware of or, mm-hmm. you know, um, something like that. It's really not about me trying to, you know, push any sort of specific personal agenda or anything. Like, it's not about yeah. that, you know, it's, it's partially yeah. like some self self growth. Is that what you're kind of saying? Like, yeah, I, well, I think, I mean, I definitely grow every time I do one of these projects, I definitely yeah. do grow. Um, but I think, I, I think that, you know, in order for anything to change, and I think there's a lot of things that, you know, it's systemic issues that right. I would like to see change. Um, I think in order for any of that to happen, it's really important um, for people to, you know, talk and for people to, to listen. Yeah. You know, those two things are really important. So um, when I designed this first concert at Michigan, um, that was my goal. It was sort of like, hey, let's, let's kind of address these issues um, in, a, in a musical way instead of just sitting down and, you know, sitting in a circle and trying to kind of talk it out in a, in a, you know, less, maybe less comfortable way. Yeah. You know, yeah. Let's, yeah. let's do something that we're sort of meeting in the middle. We're playing music, but we're exploring these topics in, in an intentional manner. And maybe that will help us connect with one another on yeah. a deeper level. Yeah. Did you just out of curiosity, did you ever like uh, meet any resistance or pushback when you were when you were starting to put the, I mean, you, you don't have to give, spill the tea too much or give any gory <laughs> details, but I mean, yeah. I think that's, I think that's kind of part of the process. I mean, you, uh, I mean, conversations I've, I've had about trying to affect some change or be part of, of something, um, which I, I think is a great idea to make it inside of your, your circle sort of, mm-hmm. or, cause that's what I've, uh, uh, kind of being in in a similar situation where like wanting wanting to see change or be part of some change and like doing it kind of starting where i am you know starting in where i can immediately have some effect within either my family or my occupation or my job or Mm -hmm. the relationships that i immediately have like um i mean did you kind of get some pushback or resistance when you were when you were starting this yeah i think um yeah, there, there wasn't anything that was like super direct, like, hey, mm-hmm. you shouldn't do this. You know, nobody, right. nobody said that. But yeah. um, but I think in a in a more kind of understated way, um, it, it ended up being something that I thought um, that because of the, the people I had pitched it to and the way that, you know, the, the initial conversations had gone, I kind of mm-hmm. thought that I would be kind of planning the, the concert and producing it alongside a few other people mm-hmm. and it really ended up that um i did most of the the work to do it you know yeah um not a hundred percent but most of it ended up being me really kind of pushing it through and so you know i realized like okay this is actually something that you know i really want a lot more than you know these other folks and sure. so um you know it, it just it ended up being something that like i really had to you know push to do but but you know i learned a lot from that experience too so Today's episode is brought to you by Primephonic, the streaming service designed for classical music. Primephonic is here to save classical music for the streaming era. 
the app features high-res audio, radio on demand, curated playlists, and podcasts with famous artists. Times are tough these days, but Prime Phonic pays classical musicians in a fair way, paying per second and not per track. This is a huge deal compared to the other services that only pay artists per song. The app features a massive catalog featuring some of our favorites here at the shop, like John Cage, Steve Reich, Evelyn Glennie, and Ivan Trevino. For a limited time, Black Swamp Podcast listeners are getting two months free of Prime Phonic with the exclusive promo code BLACKSWAMP. Visit the link in the show notes, enter the promo code, and you're good to go. Again, that promo code is BLACKSWAMP, all caps and all one word. Prime Phonic, the streaming service designed for classical music. So you said a word a few minutes ago called intersectionality, mm-hmm. which uh, is is a word I've kind of thought about the last year plus, mm-hmm. and I, I guess connect it myself with um, uh, obviously um, social issues, politics, uh, my faith, and mm-hmm. all you know, being a, a male, <laughs> white mm-hmm. white male. Like, is that kind of how you're you interpret it too? Like in your music, like how all these kind of different areas intersect literally yeah yeah so intersectionality is a is a term that was coined by uh, kimberly crenshaw um, who was a lawyer and um, when she when she first used the term she was basically referring to um, just just talking about like if you're talking about an issue of something that's happening to a white woman and something that's happening to a black woman um, their experiences are not going to be the same yeah um, because though they may be the same they may have the same gender identity uh, there are other factors of their identity that affect the way that you know they walk through the world and other you know that other people interact with them it affects the way that others interact with them so that's sort of like the most basic definition of it is just saying that um, we all have many different facets to ourselves many different things that we identify with and you can't really separate them from each other mm-hmm. so your you know my experience is going to be always a complete package of every identity that i have it affects you know it literally it affects my perception of of everything in the world and it affects how people perceive me um and it won't be the same as somebody else's so um it's really important when you're when you're thinking about gender equality in this case um to to realize that you know that um yes issues of you know gender inequality or sexism affect you know women across the board but they don't affect me as a white woman the same as they do um, a black indigenous person of color. You know, right. it's it's not it's not the same experience, and so it's really important to recognize that and not try to lump everybody's experiences into the same thing. So um, that's one thing that I, I from the start of strength and sensitivity, I really wanted to make sure that I you know pay attention to that in, mm-hmm. in my planning and people I collaborate with, and you know thinking about whose whose stories are getting told on yeah. the shows or in the commissions that I'm doing. And um, I think it's really important. So uh, so that's how it's kind of manifesting itself is the people that you obviously choose to collaborate with or to work with, or does it go sometimes deeper than, than that? Like even sort of outside musical, like where you plan events or who is helping to coordinate events or different aspects of, of the production, I guess you mm-hmm. could say. Yeah, I mean, definitely. It it started on that um, on that level of thinking about the representation of you know who whose music we were playing. Initially, um, the, the first concert was was you know 
the idea of strength and sensitivity to me was that those are two words that are usually associated with like polar opposites of the gender yeah. spectrum, sure. you know? And so my initial idea was to kind of put on a concert that flipped that idea on its head and, and just, you know, got everybody thinking like, oh, you know, uh, people who identify as women can write really powerful, loud, you know, in your face music and yeah. people who identify as men can write really beautiful, intimate music. And that was kind of the initial, you know, no, I'm glad you like, I'm, basically, yeah. I'm glad you're, you mentioned that. Cause that I kind of glossed over that, like in my notes, like where strength and sensitivity, like those yeah. uh, two words are, uh, um, seem opposite. So if that was a, right. obvious, you know, intentional in your programming and in the project right. concept. Yeah. This, that's yeah. Cool. It was, I mean, that's a really kind of basic, like, um, breakdown of but you know that's basically what I was thinking initially because I, I didn't think too hard about when I was going <laughs> to name it you know it was just yeah. a concert and I said you know this is something that I think you know these are t these are two opposites like you said and right. um, so so initially like the it was more focused on the representation of the composers we were playing yeah. and um, but ever since that first concert um, yeah I've been thinking about you know who I'm sharing the stage with or you know if I'm commissioning somebody who I'm commissioning um, and then yeah, even deeper than that, thinking about like the the stories or the the poetry that's behind some of the pieces. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things that I really enjoy about um, this project is it's given me a way to kind of combine music and spoken word or music and poetry. Hmm. Um, and so I, I try to, you know, not every piece has, you know, some sort of text with it, but a lot of the pieces on the show do, or, you know, I've done collaborations, like I mentioned, with a rapper or uh, with spoken word artists. And um, so just thinking about like, you know, who's, who's influencing those texts or who's influencing that style of performance or, yeah. you know, um, yeah, I'm definitely, you know, and again, it's always evolving. So I'll definitely be continuing to, to try to make it as inclusive as possible and, you know, um, really, you know, always make sure that I'm keeping that as, as, you know, an absolutely essential part of what I'm doing. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I know I appreciate it. Um, so what so what's going on now with strengths and sensitivity <laughs> is, there, is there anything happening now or kind of in the future that, that we can look forward to yeah i think um right i was supposed to do a concert in may of last year uh with ivan trevino um hmm. in austin texas we were going to do uh kind of the first i guess the first like duo version of a strength and sensitivity show yeah. um they've all been either really big productions with a, a large team or uh solo projects that i've done um, so we were going to do kind of a duo show and uh, we were going to do it in Austin, Texas and talking with Ivan, we were trying to find some, you know, some shared ground that um, he and I have when it comes to talking about intersectionality and talking about gender. And um, we were going to do the whole show basically themed around the intersection of uh, Latinx identity and gender. Yeah. Um, and we were going to be collaborating with an awesome singer songwriter in Austin who, you know, she had just said, yes to us mm -hmm. um she's somebody that neither of us knew but we we knew of her and you know we, we really liked her music and we reached out to her and um she had just said yes right before COVID happened oh, and, you know yeah. so um so that's that show's gonna be postponed we don't have a date that it's coming back but um yeah. i'm i'm really excited about that one i think that's gonna be great and you know ivan is um a good friend and somebody who's you know i i look up to in a lot of ways so yeah. um yeah how, i'm really excited about that one how do you know ivan um, that's a funny story, actually. Mm -hmm. Ivan um, was doing his his master's at Eastman when I was um, when I was a prospective student, 
Right. <laughs> and um, I actually, the first time I met Ivan, um, I went up to Eastman like over the summer, um, I guess probably before my senior year of high school. And um, I went up and I had emailed Michael Burrett and I had said, you know, I, I would love to take a lesson with you. I'm a prospective student. And he was out of town at the time, but he emailed me back and he said, you know, I'm not there. Um, I'm going to have one of my master's students give you a tour mm. and show you around all the percussion stuff. And uh, that was Ivan. Yeah. So um, I met Ivan, you know, when I was in, in high school and um, he, <laughs> he gave he gave my mom and I like our own private tour of Eastman. And, you know, I remember specifically walking around the practice rooms and, and I remember him saying like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really more of a rock drummer at heart, but, you know, I like doing this. And, yeah. um, I, you know, I just thought, okay, this guy's, you know, this is, this is really cool. And he, he definitely gave me a great introduction to Eastman. Yeah. Um, and then the, the coolest thing was when I finally showed up there, you know, over a year later, um, he was he was teaching some classes in that arts leadership program. Oh, okay. Um, that's when he was still living in Rochester before he went to Austin. Yeah. And I we were both at some concert or something, and he came up to me like he remembered me, yeah. which I thought was crazy at the time. Like as the younger person, you know, yeah. um, he came up to me. He said, "Hey, I gave you a tour. You know that that's so cool. You're here now. Like that. You know. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's that's no. how I know him. But no, no, that. That's exciting. I mean, I've met Ivan once or twice, like at PASIC, yeah. and uh, just seems like an awesome guy. And then obviously seeing what he's been doing the last several years is is amazing. And then we've kind of been chatting a bit through email. So mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to kind of getting in, getting to know him more. Nice. Like he seems like, I don't know, he just seems like a special guy. So yeah, I'm, he's, I'm looking he's forward really, to really great. And, and yeah. like I said, he inspires me like in a lot of ways, musically, yeah. but personally, and you know, um, yeah, so it's, it's been cool to kind of develop a friendship with him after that initial, yeah. you know, yeah. Cool. Um, so kind of back to community engagement. Mm -hmm. Um, so you're the coordinator for, a uh, a, a Silk Road ensemble, like workshop, a global musician workshop. Is that still a position that you're involved in now? Yeah, so I so the the Silk Road Global Musician Workshop yeah. is a mouthful. First of all, <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> it was another but, thing. It was like, okay, do I just recite this uh, yeah, again, or do I kind of? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but what it is, we, you can just call it GMW, I guess. Okay. Um, GMW is uh, is like a summer program that the Silk Road Ensemble um, runs, and they started it just a few years ago, so it hasn't been around for that long. Um, right. I went to it. Um, the first time I went was right before I started at Michigan, which was 2017. Um, and it's like a week-long uh, summer program where there's a number of um, the Silk Road Ensemble you know, members are the right. faculty. And it's, it's what it says, world music. It's people from all over the place who play you know, all sorts of different styles, um, you know, different classical traditions other than the Western classical tradition. There's you know, Chinese classical music, um, people who play folk music from, you know, pretty much anywhere you could think of. Um, I've gone to it a couple of years now. The second year I was there, uh, we had people from, you know, every continent except for Antarctica, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's really, you know, it really is um, a great opportunity to meet people from different places and, you know, different musical traditions. And um, yeah, it's like a, it's like a big giant opportunity to just dive into different styles. You can work with the different um, faculty members who have like their own specialty areas 
and they they teach you a tune and they kind of put you in little bands with you know musicians from again from all these random right. you know it's like a random assortment. it's almost like somebody described it once as like chopped but you know for for like world music right. it's like yeah, it's yeah. like here's your basket of like <laughs> classical right. percussion right. and like bluegrass and like you know whatever yeah. and um it's like make make something happen and so then you work with a faculty member and they teach you a tune from whatever their tradition is or their specialty area right. and then you perform and it's it's really really an amazing experience so the first time i went i just went as a participant and yeah. um i again i i you know fell into this like awesome community of, of like-minded people and I, I made a lot of friends there that you know really again like inspired me in a lot of ways and you know just felt like these are people who they really want to learn from each other they you know everybody had so much respect for you know everyone's background and everyone's perspective and you know that's obviously how it should be all the time but right. unfortunately that that's not the case right. so this was like a really special thing and so my second year um, I attended as a participant, but I also um, was kind of on the on the staff, and I worked on some community engagement projects for them that I basically developed um, just out of you know having been there for for the first year and mm -hmm. thinking like oh it'd be really cool if we we did some projects you know in the community where we where we had the festival um, when I when I went there the first time it's it's changed since then but the first time I was there it was. Um, at DePaul University, which is Greencastle, Indiana, sure. um, tiny little you know town in Indiana, and in the right. it's in the summer, so all the college kids are gone. So yeah. it's really just you know a small community of you know people. And I you know the first time we did it, it was like all the concerts were at the school, and everything happened at the school. And there you know there were some people from the community who came to the concerts, but you know it was I had this feeling overall of like you know we all came here. It's like a hundred something people that right. you know is here for this program, and we're all kind of in our bubble doing this. Um, but I didn't really know if like a lot of people knew we were there, so um, that's where the community engagement idea came. And I thought, well, what if we could do some educational events or like open mic nights and stuff like that out oh, off yeah. of the campus? And so um, they basically said, that sounds cool. Can you can you do it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, you, have, you have the idea. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. So, um, so I got to, I got to do that. And, um, yeah, we, we had some like educational projects at, you know, the library and places like that. Um, and we did kind of open mic nights, um, where people just got to share, you know, solos or whatever that they wanted to play, which was really, yeah. really fun. Like um, people, people in the community or people involved in the, in the, the workshop? Um, both actually, it yeah. ended up being like, Initially, I think it was just going to be workshop participants, yeah. but we were playing off campus like we played in bars and things like that. Um, yeah. But then we, we had them a couple days. And so the first the first day we said, OK, we're going to pop up at this place tomorrow. And there was a guy who came who had been there the first day. He showed up the second day with like his fiddle and he <laughs> wanted to play with everybody. And, you know, so yeah. that was kind of like the perfect, you know, that's, I guess, the ultimate outcome is like yeah, you yeah. Know, to connect people. And, yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, so so that's um, something that I've really enjoyed, kind of just figuring out how to do on the spot. Yeah, <laughs> but, um, yeah. Well, it's really cool. Yeah, no, I think it's super cool and like even cooler, like that you're, uh, you're, you're kind of drawn to engage like that in the community and then find those opportunities and kind of take advantage of of the that timing. So, congratulations! <laughs> I think oh, it's thanks. something special. Yeah. Um, yeah. To that was another thing that you know we, we were. I was supposed to do it again um, yeah. last summer, but of course, you know, 
at a you know it's it's right. coming back this summer but in a virtual format so eventually yeah. we'll get back to the to the in-person experience and i'll be able to hopefully continue doing that um yeah. so kind of going back to the beginning when we were talking about the leadership uh uh certificate i guess or the mm -hmm. you know your your experiences at eastman like and how that has directly affected like the projects that you're involved in now is like is there anything else you can kind of say to that i guess or speak to <laughs> like maybe you know specifically like i mean i don't know if there's specific instances but like you know ways you're like wow this it's eerie almost how i was kind of involved in school and now it's these things are transpiring here in your more professional career um or i'm grasping at straws which yeah, totally no. ha which <laughs> happens sometimes too so no i think that you know that's a good question i i mean I think, like I said, that that arts leadership program uh, definitely gave me a foundation for, you know, understanding not everything, but, you know, some of some of the things that you need to know if you're going right. to be creating a project from the ground up. Yeah. And, you know, I've been able to do that in a couple of different instances, like the Silk Road thing you mentioned and right. um, strength and sensitivity are, are good examples of, of, you know, creating something from, you know, basically nothing. Yeah. Um, and. Yeah, but the Silk Road thing, it wasn't completely nothing, but, you know. Um, <laughs> um, so it definitely gave me that, that great, you know, foundation and, and confidence, I think, as well, to, to know that I could um, start something without knowing exactly what it was going to be. Yeah. Um, I think for musicians, that's, that's really challenging, especially for classical musicians. We're used to, like, hiding in a practice room until you know, something is as good as you can make it and right. then sharing it with people. Yeah. Um, but I think with these kinds of projects, um, it's really important to just kind of get started and be open to, you know, adapting as you go along and, and learning as you go along. And so I think that's definitely kind of a, a lesson I learned from, from the yeah. arts leadership program. And, and that's carried through a lot of my projects. No, I, it's cool to hear. And honestly, you could work for Black Swan Percussion right now because it's you're almost like describing like what my last 20 years has been like with working yeah. for Black Swan Percussion because, right. um, uh, yeah, I didn't, uh, I didn't take any marketing classes. I didn't take mm -hmm. any business classes where all, you know, Eric, the president founder has two, you know, music degrees. I have two music degrees and, mm -hmm. uh, and pretty much everyone that works for us is, is tr a trained musician. And we've kind of figured out how to run and operate a business <laughs> like up from, you know, just doing it like exactly yeah. like you're saying, like um, and Nathan, uh, who does all of our social media, like curating and, and posting and all the copy and kind of branding and image stuff like that. Like he and I have these conversations a lot and especially recently where it's like it's like sometimes, you know, we want to we want to push ourselves and like keep doing better and kind of upping in our marketing game but at the same time we don't want to get kind of caught in this rut of like not like almost being scared or not wanting to like release stuff or to do stuff and mm -hmm. and i it sounds very familiar like just kind of have hearing you talk through some of that is really some of the same conversations that we have and types of conversations because a, I get to live vicariously through uh, through musicians and artists because I was at kind of that crossroads mm -hmm. 20 years ago, like figuring out, do I have the guts to move to New York City? No, I do not. I'll tell you that right <laughs> now, Colleen. I did not have the guts. It wasn't even part of my thought process. Yeah. Um, 
but you know, kind of what am I going to, what am I going to do? And, right. um, and so here I, you know, I, I had met Eric and kind of worked for him a little bit, um, going to, when I was an undergrad and he invited me to work full time. And then I had kind of like you, I had, I was from, I'm from Michigan. We're in Michigan. Mm. And I knew there was playing opportunities. You know, I had some, I could play with Grand Rapids or Kalamazoo, like kind of pick up or had some other, um, you know, a lot of pan stuff that was, that would be available. So mm -hmm. um, I don't know. What am I talking about? What was the question, Colleen? Can you repeat the question, please? No, there <laughs> was mean, no question. talking about, you know, projects and, uh, yes, and you know, know. starting yeah, somewhere yeah. and not knowing where, where you I, might end up. I was just, I was just, <laughs> I was just shooting my mouth off now. Yeah, no, uh, I mean, it, uh, I think that's important though. Cause I think um, there, there definitely isn't like one straight, path for anything in sure. our industry so just just getting used to that like um you know not i mean and i get stuck in that rut too like you mentioned yeah. like getting stuck and not posting things like i definitely am not you know it's not like i i have this confidence all the time but right. um but i when i do these projects i realize like oh you know i need to i need to have this mentality more that it's okay mm -hmm. to you know put something out there or get something started and you know go from there it's actually a yeah. lot harder to to do anything if you don't take that first step you know i mean yeah. that sounds kind of silly but no but it's not... true it's really hard to develop a project if you don't if right. you don't do something tangible with it so yeah yeah, yeah my wife's a graphic designer um, yeah. and we have uh similar conversations like just kind of creative conversations like so her you know from her angle it's literally trying to get a, a design either whether it's a logo or or a mm -hmm. um you know some sort of materials marketing material for their sales team or whatever like you know just trying to get it started and get off the ground and get some ideas down and then and then kind of going back and looking at what's horrible or what you can make something <laughs> with kind of learning again learning from some some mistakes i guess but yeah um yeah cool uh one other thing i wanted to ask you about sometimes i i like to ask this question you already alluded to it with uh our conversation about ivan uh, being mm -hmm. an inspiration uh, uh is there anything else you like to read or watch or listen to or follow that is a kind of a source of continued inspiration or development um yeah i think um i i like to read i i've read i haven't been reading a lot of um books lately <laughs> i've yeah. been reading a lot of news which you know yeah. is is tough but i especially with this year being an election year and everything i i've spent a lot of time kind of really diving into um politics even more than than normal and mm -hmm. um i don't know if that's like an inspiration but um something that is is kind of another side of of my brain kind of goes along with um, projects that are related to social justice or just trying to think of things that I can do with my voice as a musician to sure. uh, support, you know, the, the issues that I care about. And um, yeah, so so that's one thing. Um, but <laughs> as far as inspiration goes, I mean, I am a really big uh, Disney fan. <laughs> I, you know, I, I know yeah. it sounds kind of funny, but I just I've always loved um, Disney music in particular. OK. And I, I just think that it's it's really um, it's just a really interesting kind of thing to to kind of get into um, some of the songs because I mean so many people know this, these big Disney songs and you know but thinking about them on like a deeper level or listening to the music that they use in the parks or things like that I think yeah. is, is really is really interesting and definitely inspiring because um, 
it's so it's so powerful you know those those songs the disney songs and the the disney music in the parks and everything or even just the soundtracks to the films are really really powerful and and they do always kind of make me like feel something and usually it ends up with this kind of joy and this kind of (laughs) um and i I think that that's inspiring to me because it reminds me that like you know that's something i would love to be able to make people feel yeah is that same kind of sense of just that magic and that excitement and yeah um especially with what i'm doing now as a teacher like that's you know i, I try to keep that mentality um that i i want to kind of give my students that experience and um so that's maybe kind of a, a weird answer but no no um i don't know i think i think it's helpful that sometimes with contemporary music we get really bogged down in like the, the intensity of it or the, the details yeah. of how complicated something is. But um, I don't know. There's something to be said for for music that just kind of lifts you up and makes you feel, um, it just makes you feel all sorts of different emotions. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I think that's, that's interesting. I don't, I forget where I heard it, but somebody referenced like Disney uh, more li- kind of lyrics and kind mm-hmm. of, yeah. Saying how it's, uplifting but also kind of this idea of like like you can you can be who you want to be and people will accept you and you can do what you you want to do and and be successful and stuff mm-hmm. so uh i wasn't yeah. sure if that's a direction you were going or literally yeah, like um, literally like the music just makes you feel happy yeah no i'm i'm talking about the music like <laughs> yeah, i'm literally yeah. just talking about the the music i mean yeah in particular, um, there's a show at, if anybody's been to Disney World, if you've ever seen the show Fantasmic, um, I don't know if you've ever been there, but um, uh, it's like 35 years ago, okay. I think. <laughs> so they, they have this, they have this, like, it's a nighttime show and it has fireworks and, you know, all sorts of amazing, like, technical sure. things. But there, there's a soundtrack that goes through the whole show. And um, it's, it's really great. It's, yeah. you know, it weaves in a lot of the different Disney themes and everything, but also has its own kind of just phantasmic like themes right. and by the end of the, the the show even if you just listen to it you know it it takes you on a story and it, you know it tells you everything you need to know and by the end it's it's like some of the most joyous music that i could think of and um it's it's hard i don't know it's it's hard to like think of other musical experiences where if i listen to that same piece every time I would have that same level of reaction. And yeah. I think some of it is like the nostalgia of like being a kid at Disney World and that kind yeah. of stuff. But um, I think just like listening to the music as somebody who likes music is, um, there's, it's just really well written music. It's, it's just really well done. Yeah, it's funny. Do you know the name Ryan Lankford? He yeah. uh, owns and operates Rustic Percussion. Oh, okay. Based yeah. out of California. Yeah. Uh, so we've kind of known Ryan in the industry for several years and he's actually a percussionist and xylophone uh and i think drum set player at a at disneyland resort and so oh, cool. the, i think he has like like literally like you know wearing the kind of 1930s eras like tux and suspenders yeah. and hat and stuff and like running around and, and and playing kazoos and whistles and like insane xylophone stuff and percussion and just having a blast like i've seen some video footage of him like doing that and just having conversations with him i think that's like he loves doing it and like he's a super energetic person and kind of loves life and it like makes sense Mm -hmm. for him and that's part of what he likes doing it because he likes entertaining people and he likes seeing kind of the joy that it brings like people so 
Uh, yeah, Ryan Langford. Check check yeah, him out. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> just uh, yeah. shout out to Ryan. Right. Um, so. Well, I think it's it's the Disney music for sure, but I think also if you just um, you know if you if you look a little deeper, if you're a Disney nerd and you look a little deeper at like the 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 people in the company who are called Imagineers. Yeah, you sure. Know, the engineers who create their rides and all their different things. Like, yeah. um, first of all, that's such a great name, Imagineers. You know, it just <laughs> right, evokes right. that sense of like creativity. Yeah. It's so cool. Um, but the way that the Imagineers go about creating the, the worlds that they create in the parks or the way that the people, you know, who were working on the films create all this, this animated um, stuff is super interesting to me that the kind of the, the attention to detail is something that I can find a connection to yeah, with, sure. with music. You know, we have to pay such close attention, especially with percussion. We have yeah. to pay such close attention to all the detail. And that's something that they do um, in a really brilliant way. So I don't know. There's a lot of ways that, that I find that that's something that I can, I can, you know, gather inspiration from. But at the same time, it, it's kind of this, like, peaceful thing, you know. Yeah. It's just it's Disney World. Like, it's not... Right. Um, it's not too stressful it's not politics you know? <laughs> yeah so, exactly yeah um so it's been kind of like a nice thing to just yeah. um examine a little bit more especially during like a pandemic you know no i can appreciate that uh, yeah. my my go-to uh sort of decompression is star trek like okay. and uh, and i haven't i have to watch the original original series but like next generation and deep space nine and voyager and now i i did start enterprise i don't know if you're a star trek fan or not but um, I honestly have not really ever seen Star Trek. <laughs> okay, so, so you have no idea. So now I'm totally nerdy now. At Sorry. least I've wa- at least I've watched Disney movies before. I know it's. Uh, I mean, I watch Star Wars, but I know. Yes, yeah. I am. I am more of a Star Wars. I started as a Star Wars fan, and we do okay. have this argument at work sometimes because Eric, uh, I think, likes both. But he's Eric, the founder, is a, like a Star Trek fan. Okay. And then the rest of us are more Star Wars fans. Like I grew up with on Ret- like Return of the Jedi. Like that was my jam. Like. I saw in the theater multiple times and I wanted to be Luke Skywalker and everything. Like, (laughs) so yeah, Star Wars like holds a special place in my heart, but like the last couple years and especially the last year, Mm -hmm. I like just, I've just been binging Star Trek because it's low stress. It's low commitment. Yeah. Yeah. After, uh, you know, well, kind of like multiple pandemics. Um, like it's interesting. I, I, um, well, Never mind. That's a whole nother story to talk about. Yeah. But uh, like, yeah, basically kind of the last year and and just being able to like sit down at the end of the day and just be like, awesome. Like Star Trek, like right. <laughs> I could just relax for a bit and then right. go to bed. So yeah, um, stuff that's just mindless is, yeah. is definitely needed, um, yeah. especially when there's so much stuff weighing on our, our minds. So, yep. yeah. Agreed. Um okay well Colleen thanks like I learned uh, a lot about you and which is like my favorite part of doing these conversations I, I know we I don't think we've had an in-person conversation so that was yeah. uh, so far so that was totally cool um, you're doing awesome things and it's a pleasure to like help kind of support you in these efforts so um, keep up the good work I appreciate it Thank you. Thanks for having me and thanks for all the support. Yeah. Okay. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Tim. This has been a BSP production recorded and produced out of the Black Swamp Percussion Facilities in Zealand, Michigan. Audio and production assistance by Nathan Coles. Intro and outro music by Adam Hopper. 
music sprinkled throughout the episode featured performances from Colleen. Visit this episode's show notes for links to specific content and Colleen's activities. Talk soon.